0: What is crackalacking, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Prommel. I am, however, super pleased and excited to be joined by longtime friend and colleague, Brian Toporek. He is a senior quality editor at Bleacher Report, where I also work. He also is the co-host of the NBA podcast. Follow them on Twitter at the NBA pod. Him and Mort do a great job. Throw them some ratings, reviews, and subscriptions wherever you're getting your pods. And he also writes about the NBA and the salary cap and the Sixers over at Forbes Sports. Follow him on Twitter at btoporek. That's at B-T-O-P-O-R-E-K. We are here to do our deep dives into the first round of the 2022 NBA playoffs. I'm trying something different. I'm splitting this up into three series apiece. Um, per podcast, because we went over two hours. So I'm going to give you about two one hour long podcasts. They'll be a little bit longer than that. To digest, we're releasing the first one on Thursday. We'll release the other one on Friday. We will also have something on the final two series, which will be be determined on Friday, um, either late Friday night or up Saturday morning. Uh, We didn't go in any particular order here based on the schedule, because I didn't know I was going to split it into two podcasts. But I think this is the best way I have timestamps. Check those out in the pod descriptions. Uh, But I just think that this makes it more consumable. Let me know if you would prefer in the future me to release them all at once. But I thought this was a good thing to try. That's enough rambling, but I do want to get to our usual housekeeping notes. If this is the first time that you're listening to us, consider throwing us that permanent subscription. We do work really hard to be only modestly insufferable when it comes to national NBA coverage. We have a lot of fun over here, though. Join our Discord. That link is in the podcast description as well. You will get priority when it comes to mailbag questions as well as conversations we're hoping uh the discord continues to pop whilst the postseason goes on also follow us on twitter at hardwood Knox. follow us on instagram at hardwood underscore Knox. we're on tiktok at hardwood Knox. go subscribe to our youtube channel also youtube.com search hardwood we will come up we are so close to 1k subscribers there so please help us get over the hump i know that's a lot but i'm working really hard to put out a ton of content for for everybody who listens to this pod, hoping to expand our reach and expand this great community that we've built. The final thing I'll say is I have been posting original content on TikTok and IG, just some videos for you to peruse on topics. So there is a point in following us there, even if you already follow us here. You can also help us out a ton. This goes a long way. Retweet our promos, tell friends, family members about us. Word of mouth goes a long way. Anyone who you know is a basketball fan. I am exhausted from this, but my caffeine pride is oozing. We're gonna to get to the Mavs versus Jazz, the Bucks and the Bulls, and the Grizzlies Timberwolves series in this podcast. The other three series will be in the other one. If you're already listening to this, you might wanna check your feed and see if that one's already dropped. But let's go. Playoff deep dives with Brian Toporek right to hell now. Let's start with Chicago and Milwaukee. That feels, I think, like the most fait complete first round series. That we have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Vegas odds would agree with that because the Bucks are just so enormously heavily favored. And it, it's hard to see a pathway for the Bulls to win this one, especially with, you know, Lonzo has been declared out for the rest of the season. And, you know, I, I do want to push back against the whole like Bulls are frauds narrative that seems to be popping up because they were really good for the first half of the season. And, and then, No, Lonzo and Caruso got hurt, and their defense just got blown to smithereens, and they just haven't been able to find their footing since.
0: Yeah, and yeah, that's not... First of all, did anyone have them winning 46 games during the regular season? I think consensus, at least nationally, was that the DeMars and Rosen trade was a mistake. Like, Mm -hmm. they were going to be not even paper tigers. And I'd be curious to see where they were if Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso never get injured. That at the same time, and I don't mean to sound like an asshole by saying this, I don't know what the pathway to them winning this series is. And you're not only missing Lonzo Ball, but Alex Caruso closes the regular season dealing with some back stuff. Um you showed moments from what I saw during the regular season where it looked like you were capable of defending Giannis at but it's just like, how do you do that over the course of a season? And now when your personnel is sort of dwindling, have, having Patrick Williams might help. Um I'm just I do, that might be my biggest question, actually. It's like, what is the pathway to Chicago winning this series? I think mm-hmm. my bigger, like, if we were going to go more granular question is, like, what do they do or do they try anything with the Vooch minutes? Just because this doesn't yeah. seem like a great matchup for him unless the Bucs are going to play Chris Middleton a shit ton. Uh, and we know that, like, there's you don't, you don't want to get to a point where you're relying on Tristan Thompson too much. Is Derrick <laughs> Jones Jr. at the five going to be an option? And so I just feel like they start to run out of – bodies that make sense for this matchup pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we see this a lot where, you know, personnel and specific matchups are what dictate playoff series and we'll get to a couple others later where I think that's really going to be a factor in who we're picking to win the overall series. Like one team might be more talented, but they might just be a horrible matchup for another team. Now, the Bucks of course are more talented, than the bulls and are a horrible matchup. So I'm with you. It's just really hard. You know, unless Giannis God forbid gets hurt in game one. Uh, it's hard to see a pathway for the bulls to win this series. Cause they just don't have an answer for him, or at least not a readily apparent one. And if you're doubling him, he's too good of a passer. He'll pick you apart. The bucks have too many shooters. Yeah, like, but I I don't think they can stop him getting to the rim. I don't think they have the personnel to even build that wall. And I think, you know, it seems like a lot of both fans are down on Vooch in general. I think after this series there, you know, the Vooch for Rudy Gobert trade ideas that have been bubbling up are going to be screaming loud.
0: Yeah, rough season for him i still think he's just like a really smart decision maker overall and as someone who's like a vessel through which the ball can get somewhere else but you also needed him to be higher end on offense and someone mm-hmm. pointed this out in our discord But like when you look at his efficiency it was way more in line this season um relative to his career than whatever he did last season was and he, he look he finished the the regular season shooting the ball fairly well over 38 percent from three but I'm with you on all those points, and the other thing is, I'm so. By the way, I'm so not used to looking at season-long numbers anymore because I try and break down things in segments so that I'm not mm. like missing the the smaller picture. But we have to look at the entire picture of the season. It's not like the Bulls are gonna outshoot the Bucks on most right. nights. Dead last <laughs> in three-point attempt rate, and that's yeah. just look. Demar Rosen's been fantastic, uh, but. Like, that's if you get behind, or if you just need to build big leads, that's sort of a way that you can do that. And their offense really isn't run that way. And then, sort of looming over all of this is just like, he's playing, but like, what is Zach Levine's knee going right. to like? Like, like that's just a, like this team is just so banged up. And he was, I think you could see him in some of the games towards the tail end of the year where it felt like it was impacting him. And he was still just really good, but we're getting to a point where. I just I'm running out of I can't even just fathom ways in which the, aside from the catastrophic which I refuse to get into, mm-hmm. just like, how does the team win this series? And so I tend to focus on the front court rotation, but you're going to need you know, make like is this a? I guess the thing their pathway would be as I stumble through this, winning the reserve minutes where we have the staggering between Giannis, Chris, and Drew because Milwaukee's not exactly a like a billboard for depth at this right. point either and so like what is ever going on with george hill i feel like he's had at least one trillion issues this season and that there's never like a concrete prognosis for what he's having uh i do think it's good really good for them that brooke lopez came back before the year ended um yeah. but just just like you know i'm worried about their front court and then it's if you don't want to go to at the five because he played a bunch during the regular season just a Portis and even Brooke Lopez. Like those aren't unwinnable matchups then for Chicago. I, I like, I, or rather I hate this series a lot less for them. If we just barely see, or we only see Giannis at the five in sort of these small measured reserve doses.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the bulls have a couple problems in this series. The bucks personnel just matches up well defensively against them. So you can put, Drew Holiday on Zach Levine, who you mentioned, is just not 100% right now. And I think, you know, Zach's going to get his, but maybe not as efficiently or as dynamically as he usually does. You can switch between Drew, Chris, and Giannis on DeMar DeRozan at times. So you can throw different looks at him throughout the course of a game and throughout the course of the series. And if those two guys aren't going, like, you're going to need Vooch to score 25 to 30, which is just not going to happen most nights. And, you know, Lopez, sure, they're going to probably continue playing the drop with him. So maybe Vooch just gets really hot from three one night, but can he do it four times in seven games? I, I don't know. Um, and then you're right. Like the the depth for the Bucks is not robust. They're not going 10 deep, but, you know, the Bucks unlike a couple other teams that are going into the playoffs having already been playing their guys 37, 38, 39 minutes a night, like, you know, Giannis, Drew, Chris all played between 32 and 33 a night. And they're the only guys who played above 30. So, you know, I know it's a joke It's even after, but finally figured out that you can play your stars more minutes in the playoffs last year. Like maybe let's hope he remembers that lesson. Cause it resulted in a title, but you know, they might not even have to in this series, like they might be able to continue managing their minutes and saving them for uh, the second round, which, you know, they get the winner of Boston, Brooklyn, and they're, they're going to need their guys, their stars to play heavy minutes in that series.
0: And look, I don't want to be this guy, but there's also just the notion of DeMar DeRozan since 2016, 2017 has about a 57 true shooting during the regular season. That drops to 53 in the playoffs. Like, he's had his issues where that type of style doesn't work. I don't know if it's different with this Bulls team because you have – if Zach Levine is fully healthy and you have Io DeSumo who could do things uh, running off the ball and if Kobe White is healthy, like, there are a ton of outlets there. But I'm just wondering if the Bulls will be able to to mandate pace or Mm -hmm. style as much. And then I'm sure – or I know this is personnel-driven and, like, how they got unlucky with injuries – But the Bulls are so bad in defense on live balls. They're 27th in points allowed per possession after a defensive rebound. The Bucks have the fastest offense in the NBA by average possession time. This just feels like a very combustible cocktail that is not going to explode in favor of the Bulls.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would be pleasantly surprised if they even get it to five. Like,
0: Wow! I I didn't even get to your X-Factor yet, and you're already giving them the gentleman's sweep
1: i i mean i don't even know if i like it it might just be an outright sweep like the bulls have just been they ran out of gas this year and injuries are a large reason why but even if they were fully healthy i would not take them in this series like that's just how bad of a matchup milwaukee is for them but you raised a fair point earlier if they were fully healthy they probably finish as the two seed and they don't have to worry about this
0: yeah, and I guess the the pathway or not. Oh, stop saying pathway. But the fact that the Bucks' defense has just been sort of spotty over the second half of the season, and like maybe that tilts the Bulls in their favor. Who is
1: your Who is your X factor for the Bulls in this series? Probably Vooch, just because I think he is the one guy who if he is playing well on both ends of the floor, if he can contain Giannis and, you know, not just give him a full layup line every time he drives in transition, if he is knocking down his threes, you know, we shot 31.4% from three on the season, which is much lower than he has in recent years, you know, like DeRozan and Levine, you know, they're going to have to be the main focal points of the Bulls offense and what should, uh, what Milwaukee's going to try to shut down defensively. So I said it earlier, like they, they, they might need Vooch to be the highest scoring player on this team to have a chance in the series. And I am skeptical that that is going to happen.
0: I think that's a good pick. And I I was going to pick the same person. So I'm just going to stick. With oh, nice. That. That's terrible podcasting, but I think <laughs> if I had to nominate someone else, I would say it's Patrick Williams, just because I think he sees the most time on Giannis out of everybody individually
1: okay. would be my yeah. guess. Man, he's given up a lot of size to Giannis. Oh, who else are you throwing at him, Javante I, Green? I, they don't. That's I, they just don't have a good answer. That's part of the problem with this series. Like they don't have super Cur- tall rotation players. Currently, Tristan Thompson is thinking that it's Tristan Thompson time, that's right? <laughs> right. You know, Tony Bradley. Are we going to see a Tony Bradley revenge series? I I don't know. There's they they just. I mean, no team in the NBA has a good answer for Giannis. Right. To be clear, like this is not just an isolated Bulls problem here. There are very few teams that can even remotely slow him down. But, you know, unfortunately, we we also know that Giannis does not know how to take games or possessions off. And I, I say unfortunately, un- unfortunately for the Bulls. Fortunately for NBA fans in yeah, general. Yeah. But like this is this just projects as Giannis just destroying them over and over again and them having absolutely no way to stop him. I don't want
0: to veer too far into the hypothetical and nonsensical. Would mm-hmm. you have felt better about the Bulls chances in this series had they made the Jeremy Grant or Harrison Barnes trade at the deadline?
1: No. I mean, again, if Lanza was fully healthy, sure, then I still don't think I would pick them against Milwaukee, though. And I, you know, I wonder how much that did factor into their thinking at the deadline. Like they might have seen, okay, you know, Milwaukee looks vulnerable right now, but if they get Lopez back, like we we still don't have a great answer against Giannis here. And uh, you know, I at the time I'm sure they were hoping to get uh Lonzo back and healthy at some point because I don't think it was clear uh, you know at the trade deadline that he would not play again this season, but he probably did have to hedge against that possibility. So I'm, you know, I'm frankly glad for their sake that they didn't make that trade. That they still have that in their chamber either this summer or at next year's trade deadline. And now we can see, you know, how Patrick Williams fits with this group too.
0: I, I'm totally with you. I think this almost val- the the stuff we're saying. I feel like validates their decision to to not do something seismic at the deadline. Yeah. Who's your next actor for the Bucks in this series? Good question. Is it Grayson uh, Allen and wondering who he's going <laughs> to
1: who, who injure, who he's going to maim and knock out for the rest of the series? Uh, I mean, I don't even like, is it a cop-out to say that I don't even know that they need an X-Factor? Cause I just think their top three guys have such an advantage in the series. Like an X-Factor to me is someone who can swing a series one way or the other even swing a game one way or another. It's like, I don't know that they need that. I mean, maybe Wesley Matthews just so that they can, you know, spare Drew and Chris from having to shoulder so much defensive responsibility on Zach and Damar. So if, if Wes can, you know, spot those guys and like Drew can spend some time on Alex Caruso or Desunmu or something like that, maybe, but like, I, you know, I, I again, the series feels so lopsided. It's like, Solve the Giannis problem first, and then at that point, I will consider. Okay, maybe the Bucks need a Plan B.
0: I was just going to go with Brooke Lopez for this, okay? Because I feel like I still haven't seen enough of him. He plays in ten games over the regular season, whatever it was. Yeah. And if he's going to be able to give you, like, he ends up averaging like in the mid twenties. If he's able to give you that, I think that without an issue, like without getting injured, or he's like, does does Vooch give him any problems? I can't imagine it. I'm just saying. If you're able to do that, it it gives you so much more optionality in the front court because it can technically diminish your dependence on Bobby Portis, who's been a fairly streaky shooter of late. And we know that the Bulls, I don't know that they're the team that's going to like hunt down these mismatches and go after guys. And I I think Bobby Portis has been better when he's in space this season (laughs) and even towards the tail end of last year. But if it limits the time you have to um, play Bobby Portis, or it limits the amount of time that you have to go to Giannis at the five, because maybe. You don't want to, I think the bulls will give you if look, if Tristan Thompson's at the five, you shouldn't be afraid of sending Giannis to the five, it's just a different type of matchup than if you're throwing him against like convention, more conventional bigs or, or stronger, more explosive bigs. But yeah. I, Brooke Lopez can almost set the tone for that center rotational series. I did think about in a similar vein of Wesley Matthews, of Pat Connaughton of just like yeah. how much of um respite um, or reprieve can he give Middleton and drew holiday and even Giannis from some of the Bulls tougher assignments, but I'm also just like, I don't want to like, is a half hobbled Zach Levine. And then DeMar DeRozan who operates like at this methodical pace, is that really going to overwhelm Drew and Chris Middleton? So I settled on Brooke Lopez, but th- yeah, they were tough for me as well. What's your actual prediction for this series? I think you already tipped your hand I, there.
1: I, I think I'm going a full sweep. I don't even know if it's going to be a gentleman's sweep. I think it's just bucks and four.
0: I'm going Bulls in five because Milwaukee's defense has been just all over the place for so much of this season. And maybe they're just like, look, if there's a team in the East that's just going to flip a switch, it's not the Nets, it's the Bucks. Like, yeah. that's the team that can flip the switch. So I feel like this is the coward's pick, Bucks in five, but I, I am a coward, so I'm going
1: <laughs> to I Maybe I'm just trying to disrespect my podcast co-host who is a Bulls fan and he's at least realistic and knows that the season ran off the rails uh, in early January. But, you know, I, I think regardless of how this series ends, this, you know, the first half of the season was validation for Bulls fans that, you know, the overreaction to DeMar DeRozan's contract in particular and like the whole sign and trade in general turned out to be just that. It, it ended up being a very good move, Um, you know. Patrick Williams is only going to get better with more experience and, you know, we'll see what happens with Levine this summer, but he's given no indication that he's seriously considering moving on. So I think the bulls are going to be right back in this mix next year and hopefully they can stay a little healthier.
0: Let's do Grizzlies, Timberwolves, which I'm infinitely interested to watch as sort of two teams on the come up. Um, yeah. that I guess that the Timberwolves basically met expectations. this year. they probably exceeded them a little bit. Um, but the Grizzlies obliterated them. I even said on the last podcast with, uh, I forget what I was recording with, I'm never picking a Grizzlies over under again because I'm just going to be fucking wrong. That's <laughs> I'm the inverse of whatever that team is actually doing. I'm I'm putting it here because I actually don't know that it's going to be as competitive as some people are painting it out to be. And I'm just curious as your initial thoughts on the, the Timberwolves Grizzlies matchup or Patrick Beverly's revenge tour part two after mm. beating the Clippers.
1: Yeah, it's it's hard to get a read on this series because these teams just feel like they're going to present a bunch of matchup problems for one another. And, you know, seeing how they adjust mid-series is going to be really interesting. Like, you know, do they have to start Pat Bev to just, you know, continue shutting down John Morant or trying to do their best to shut down John Morant? Or do they keep going with, you know, Vando and McDaniels and then... Edwards, Towns, Russell, Memphis at least has some defensive personnel, particularly Dylan Brooks, who you figure is probably going to go on Anthony Edwards at first. Um, But like, how does Ja contain D'Angelo Russell? If that's the matchup, where does Desmond Bain go? How, you know, are they going to try to stretch out Steven Adams with uh, Carl Anthony Towns or just Jaron Jackson Jr.? go on towns does he have the size to contend with towns in the post like there there has there's a lot of mismatch potential here on both sides which should make a really entertaining series i hope
0: yeah i think the main concern and my biggest question for this series i'm very interested to see how memphis's offense translates to the postseason and maybe the, the timberwolves aren't the perfect opponent for to test this out but just a team that relies on getting out in transition hitting the offensive glass and then having john Morant basically with these moments sprinkled in from jaron jackson jr on the ball desmond main and all that it doesn't feel postseason proof i'm wondering if this is like the team to test it out against i know minnesota's defense has been it's been up and down like kind of all year and they're not the best in the half court and so maybe that's the team to to sort of go up against in in this situation but i'm just very curious when you look at like memphis is so deep and i do think one of the things that we underrate leading into the postseason is depth, and we mm-hmm. kind of just inadvertently touched upon why when you look at um, when you look at like what's going on with the bulls and the bucks in certain instances. Um, Minnesota's done a great job getting back in transition after they make mistakes, but when they're missing shots, like that's Memphis's opportunity to get out and run, and I would expect them to to seize every chance they get to do that. I'm still just the overarching style is something that is my biggest question. Like, it's one of the biggest questions of the playoffs for me, not even my biggest question of this series.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm fascinated because, you know, you mentioned, like, Memphis loves to get out and run. Uh, Both of these teams actually rank really high in terms of uh, opponent turnovers. So, you know, I think Minnesota was third in steals per game and led the league in opponent turnovers. Uh, Memphis is first in skills per game and third in opponent turnovers so both teams like to get out and run Um, so you know I guess it's like you know with certain matchups as to which team can impose their style upon the other both of these teams kind of like to play the same style so it might not be you know who can impose their style upon the other it's just who can play their style better than the opponent who can be more careful with the ball um who can as you mentioned who can attack the glass to the extent that you know they they typically do um memphis led the league in offensive rebounds minnesota was pretty good on the offensive glass not as great on the defensive so that seems like an area of potential concern for them um especially you know given the size that memphis has in their front court
0: do you think, and I guess this, and if you have another, I didn't ask you if you had any big questions about the last series. So if you have a big, big defining question, please throw it out there. But I was going to, you mentioned this about Towns. We saw in the, or the, we saw in the matchups that I saw between these teams, there was a lot of Jaron Jackson Jr. on Carl Anthony Towns. Mm-hmm. Do you think that persuades the Grizzlies to tilt towards more Triple J at the five, especially in this setting? Or do you think I love Jaden McDaniels? I love Jared Vanderbilt, but do those Actually, give you a way to work having two bigs, like one of them being Stephen Adams, who has not been a liability this year. I was wrong on the Stephen Adams trades. Grizzlies fans mm-hmm. have been on me about it all year. I'm not saying that he's a liability. It's just stylistically, if Towns is not the version of Towns we saw in the play-in game against the Clippers, he right, is right. absolutely obliterating everybody in his path, and the versatility he gives you from the the outside in. I do think it would at least be tempting to lean more heavily than you have this season on triple J at the five lineups. I'm just curious as to your thoughts on there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that throughout the course of the game, I'm guessing they stick with the two bigs to start and start Jaron Jackson on Towns and then hide Steven Adams on Vando, who is just not a three point threat at all. Um, You know, probably have him like, sag halfway between the three-point line and vando's hanging out there which i i don't even know if he is i think you could probably just completely ignore him if he is because he's such a non-threat from that area uh and then just have stephen adams camping out close to the basket because i i do think you know i I don't know if jaron jackson has the size to contend with towns if he's posting up right i mean he is far more versatile defensively and if he's out on the perimeter that's exactly where you want Jaron Jackson to be guarding him. And, you know, we saw the Clippers had a lot of success with smaller guys on Towns. Like, they really frustrated him with, like, their nonstop bevy of 6'8 to 6'9 wings. So, you know, the the Grizzlies don't have a ton of options on that front, but, like, maybe we do see a little bit of, I don't know, Kyle Anderson guarding Towns at times, just throwing him different looks. like I I would be surprised if we see a lot of Stephen Adams on him because that feels like that's one where you're just going to try to draw him out, uh, you know, space towns to the perimeter and draw Adams out away from the basket.
0: Yeah, I could see even like a Brandon Clark or maybe a like well depends on it depends on whether they're going to play him, but I could see them like trying a Zaire Williams on Towns yeah. if they wanted to as well. Yeah. The yeah. oh, go ahead. Did your oh, no,
1: no? I was gonna I, like they they have. They have options. And I think one thing that's been really great, and one reason that Taylor Jenkins finds himself in the coach of the year conversation is that they haven't been afraid to experiment this season. So, like, I think, you no, know, this isn't going to be a major coaching mismatch on either side. I think both guys have been pretty creative with their usage and their personnel distribution this year. Um, so, like, I, I think this is going to be one of the more entertaining first round series.
0: Yeah, and as we're going through it, I'm almost less sure of my what I thought would be just inevitability from the Grizzlies than Yeah, because you, you really dig into the details of Minnesota's offense. Fourth and half court offense since the trade deadline. Anthony Edwards has like a step back three in his arsenal arsenal now. And he is so strong once he gets going downhill. D'Angelo Russell is people have mentioned this already, but he has quietly had like a great season. I know you look at his yeah. numbers and it doesn't feel that way, but he just feels like a a player who has leveled up his IQ and his ability to scale his skill set into all these different types of lineups. And that could, in theory, like the way that Memphis defends, it's not really built on individuality in any way that they have Dylan Brooks. So it's just right. Dylan Brooks, you go chase one of those guys around at any given point. But then it's how do you divvy up those assignments? Like, who is it Desmond Bain then is going to get the other one? Who are we seeing? Like, who are the two most important defenders? For the Grizzlies in this series on the perimeter, because we know Jaren Jackson Jr. in the defensive player of the year discussion, he made my all um all defense first team. Who's the second most important defender for Memphis this series?
1: I mean, just in terms of how often or like in terms of minutes distribution, it's probably gonna be Desmond Bain, but I think you know, D'Anthony Melton's probably gonna get uh, uh, some time on probably more Russell than Edwards. I mean, mm. the, you know, the problem for really both of those guys is that like Edwards is what? Six, four, but he is big and Still strong. It's eight. When he yeah. Eight. Yeah. And that, <laughs> like Russell is, you know, not nearly as he's six, four as well, but he's not nearly as big. So I think Melton has a be- much better chance against, um, against Russell than he does Edwards. And we saw, you know, a couple of years ago um, in that Nets Sixers first round series, like Ben Simmons just completely erased D'Angelo Russell from existence. So I think there is some concern about that, but I don't know that the Grizzlies have someone who could like maybe Zaire Williams on Russell at times. Like it's, it's just going to be so interesting to see how they deploy their personnel and who matches up with who, because they have so many options and like, yeah, I mean I think if you if when they start off, I'm gonna guess it'll be Brooks on Edwards, probably Bain on Russell, and then Ja on Beverly just because you're not super afraid of Patrick Beverly offensively, and then that maybe is a way for uh Ja to preserve more of his energy for offense. Um but then yeah, once you start, you know, bringing in some of these bench guys, like whoo. Everything goes out the window. Who knows? You're going to see a lot of cross-matching, I think. I, I'm curious. I feel like the,
0: the Grizzlies might see an opportunity to use in certain spots or won't be afraid to put Desmond Bain or John Morant on D'Angelo Russell just because he doesn't play at like hyperspeed. Yeah. They have the requisite personnel to where if you want to attack those guys off screens, I think Desmond Bain's gotten better there. And so has John Morant ever since his first injury came back. He's been better there as well where it's more workable, whereas if you put them on Anthony Edwards, then yeah, that, that would be the issue. And so I, did, I would agree with your sentiments there as well. This is on the flip side of this series. Can you guess who spent the most time defending Ja Morant in the entire league this year? Ooh.
1: Well, I would venture, I would hope for the Timberwolves' sake, it was Patrick Beverley. It was.
0: I kind of gave okay, it away good. there. But yeah. I, I, I,
1: found
0: that. I found it interesting, just because yeah. Patrick Beverly missed so much time this year, but yet he played in all four games against. <laughs> uh this is an imperfect stat. I am at least using the team performance. The Grizzlies averaged 1.03 points per possession when Patrick Beverly was tracked as the primary defender on John Morant. The only thing I can say here is there is the there's the legend of Patrick Beverly, there's the the hatred of Patrick Beverly, and then there's the <laughs> truth, like somewhere in the middle.
2: Yeah. I
0: just I'm praying for John Morant's knees to be okay, because this is just someone who is all over the place. I'm not even trying to like hearken back to the Russell Westbrook, trying to call a timeout thing in 2013 and Pat Brevley goes after him. Yeah. He just plays such a physical style of defense. We've seen Morant like have just dealt with a, a knee sprain. Did he not? Unless I'm misremembering the injury there. That's not actually like a factor I'm thinking about leading into this series, but that is probably to me, the most important Individual matchup just because if Patrick Beverly does make life difficult on Morant to where he's not hitting his shots or getting to his usual spots or just not Mm -hmm. getting the ball or deferring entirely, that really compromises the state of Memphis's offense. Because I know they've been really good without him, but there's a difference between like Tyus Jones, game manager, never turning the ball over, and then John Morant, someone who can create something out of nothing from anywhere on the floor.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, that that opens the door to an upset if beverly you know i'm not going to say he's going to like break even with jock and i think Ja's still going to get his but if he can keep him to a relatively inefficient night if he can prevent him from exploding to the basket that the way he usually does uh you know it's going to reduce the strain on towns as the last line of defense too especially if he's i'm guessing when adams is in he can guard adams he can put vando on jjj but You know, if they're doing these JJJ at the five lineups, Towns is going to have to drift out to the perimeter to guard him. And then if John's on the other side of the court and is exploding the basket, there's not going to be enough time to recover. So there will be a lot of responsibility on Patrick Beverly. But if we know Patrick Beverly, he's certainly going to, I don't know if he's going to like meet the challenge, but he's going to be up for the challenge.
0: My final question on this is who is more important to the Timberwolves in this specific series, Jared Vanderbilt or Jaden McDaniels? Ooh.
2: Man, that's tough. Um, I mean, Vando, I'm assuming, will continue starting. Uh,
1: but, I mean, again, like the the depth of – Memphis has been one of the biggest selling points this season, as you just mentioned, especially when Joe was out, like they just didn't miss a beat here. Whereas the, like the Timberwolves have, you know, they can go eight or nine deep, but like you don't feel super great about it. So if Vando, I mean, he's not going to stretch the floor at all but if he's such a non-factor offensively that they can hide Stephen Adams on him and get away with it i think that's going to be an issue for the Timberwolves starting group so i for that reason i lean vando but i mean mcdaniel's is going to be a big piece off the bench like if, if they can't hold their own in the you know bench Plus starters minutes or like once they once they get some of the starters off the floor, that's when Memphis can really start to expand the lead. Like if you know if the Timberwolves and Grizzlies starters play relatively even, Memphis's depth I think is one area where you know that's late first, early second, late third, early fourth quarter. That's when they can start to break some games open.
0: I'm with Jared Vanderbilt as well, who is my X factor for this series, if only because you mentioned that the Timberwolves have struggled on the defensive glass. We know what Memphis does on the offensive glass, mm-hmm. and if you're going to tip the scales or at least even out those scales in your favor, they need Vanderbilt more than they do Jaden McDaniels. And I think the Grizzlies will play Steve Adams and Jaren Jackson Jr. enough to where it makes sense to have Vanderbilt on the court. When the, if they go to a one big lineup or just a a, a Jaren Jackson Jr. in any other big lineup, yeah, you could think about maybe trying to get away with Jaden McDaniels more, but I think if the the grizzlies had like a point of attack wing like a Paul George and we saw Jaden McDaniels get time on him in the playing game then yeah Jaden McDaniels is is more important there but he would be my, he's actually my biggest x factor um on the wolves i did i flirted with Malik Beasley a little bit yeah. and it's not that i couldn't talk myself into him mattering as much in this series it's more so just like and eh, like it's not you know yeah if he wants to break up some of the Memphis bench heavy units but rotation shortens so i'm not sure how much of like that responsibility is going to fall on him or how much of the heavier bench units we're going to see for Memphis in the playoffs. And so I couldn't like, I kept just coming back to like D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards are going to dictate all the terms on the perimeter for, for Minnesota. Who was your X factor for this team?
1: I mean, Beverly is the obvious one for the defense against Ja, but honestly it might be D'Angelo Russell. You brought him up earlier. Like he's quietly had a very good steady season for them and, you know when Towns was struggling to the extent that he did against the Clippers, like here he is with 29 points to help build him out along with Anthony Edwards. So, you know, assuming that Brooks is on Edwards, if if Brooks can help limit Edwards' effectiveness, we'll see how Towns fares against the double bigs or against you know whichever guy he is end up guarding him for most of this series. If D'Angelo Russell can win his individual matchup, I think that opens the door for a Minnesota upset.
0: Who's your ex actor for Memphis?
1: <laughs> can I pick like any of their entire bench? Is that is that allowed? Uh probably Melton. I mean, he's just been so effing good and it makes me mad that they have so many capable ball handlers. But again, if he's you know if he if he winds up getting some of the Russell defensive minutes and can help like actually win that matchup and then is still going to be you know a guy who can run the offense, whenever jaws off the floor, never turn the ball over, which is going to be important against a Timberwolves team that likes to force a bunch of turnovers. Um, if he's knocking down outside shots, whenever, you know, someone's passing it to him. Uh, yeah. I think that's, that's probably my call there. What about you?
0: I'm going with Desmond Bain because I think there are two instances for me. You're playing with Ja, you're in the you're in the Grizzlies' best lineup. If they take the ball out of his hands, or if he just doesn't have it going, like someone else aside from Jaron Jackson Jr. is gonna need to make plays with the mm-hmm. ball. I think he's probably best equipped or the one that's most likely going to fall to in this series. And then the other thing is like if we see that the Grizzlies want to get away with some of their bench heavier rotations, especially when you look at their perimeter personnel, just having him next to Tyus Jones he's mission critical in my opinion to keeping then those lineups afloat where oh jaw's not on the court and jaron jackson jr is but like if you have tyus jones it's just different from having uh john morant there and perhaps Mm -hmm. dylan brooks fancies himself everything that i'm talking about right now (laughs) i just think that desmond bain is more equipped to do it and just given the year he had like he petered out a little bit in the middle of the year and then like came on strong after that again but I feel like he's just going to be so important to this, the state of this team's half-court offense, both with and without Jaw on the floor.
1: Yeah, I mean they were a low-volume, middling-efficiency three-point shooting team, and you know he was the one very lone exception to that, was shooting forty-three point six percent on almost seven three-point attempts per game. So if shots aren't falling for him, they yeah the Grizzlies could find themselves in a bit of a math problem.
0: What is your prediction for Grizzlies? Tim, I talked myself into this being a closer series than I thought.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Morton and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago when it started to seem like these two teams might meet one another, and we're like, "Man, this series is actually could be really, really fun." Um, I lean Grizzlies in six, but I don't feel particularly strong about it. Like, I I don't think it's going to be a sweep either way, but. I could see Grizzlies in five, I could see six, I could see seven, or I could see a Timberwolves upset. So I I, I think a lot depends on, you know, John missed a ton of time late in the year. He did come back for the final regular season games, but as you mentioned, can he stay healthy? Is he fully 100% at this point, especially dealing with a pest like Beverly? Um, and then, yeah, like how do each of these teams handle the individual matchup problems that the other poses there is a lot of variance in this series, I think.
0: I'm going Grizzlies in six as well, but I'm at, I'm where you're at right now. I went into this discussion and in my notes on the Google doc, Grizzlies in five, like I just thought people were reading the Timberwolves. I don't know if I'm reading too much into what they showed against the Clippers after Towns found out. Yeah. you start to dig into the individual matchups and it's just my, my huge question of how does Memphis's offense translate to the postseason still looms, I'm picking them anyway, Um Maybe that's an insult to Carl Anthony Towns. I just i I hate one game referendums in the NBA because there are mm-hmm. so many games. But like he did not do himself any favors in that uh the Clippers playing game. But you also have to assume that he's going his default is gonna be closer to his world beating performances for most of this season than anything drastic there. And so like if Carl Anthony Towns is having a huge series, yeah, you have Jaron Jackson Jr. But like I don't necessarily know what Memphis's answer is to that. Like you when you go yeah. to the top of the roster minnesota between anthony edwards and russell clonathy talent just has a lot more overall offensive talent so one of my most intriguing series that i thought initially that the grizzlies were just going to roll through let's do utah dallas which yes. the caveat here is <laughs> luka Doncic has that high ankle sprain and or strain left calf excuse me and the mavs have not as of this recording announced when he's going to be back or a timetable for his return. He's basically been listed as day to day, which seems, you know, part and parcel of this type of injury um, in street clothes, Jeff Stotts had talked about like players have returned in as little as three days. And then the Mavericks dealt with, I can't remember who he said on the roster had the similar injury this season, but they missed like 12 or 14 days or whatever it was. Um, as long as it's not extensive. Like I would, I'd be shocked if Luca isn't playing in game one, I'd be really shocked if he wasn't playing by by game 2. And so with the, the yeah. specter of his injury looming over the series, like what are just your overarching thoughts here?
1: Yeah, I mean, that is the big question and I like props to Vegas for having a line out right now on this series because I'd be terrified to make a prediction or bet on this not knowing if or when Luka's going to come back. It's like it is simple enough to say if he misses the whole series, or if he misses even a couple of games of the series that swings it heavily in Utah's favor. But if he's, you know, there in game one and you know, the good thing about his game is that he's not overly reliant. He's not John Morant, not overly reliant on his athleticism or his explosiveness. Like he's going to kind of lumber his way to the basket anyway. So if he can continue to do that, um, that makes this, you know, I think much more of a toss up than what the current lines would suggest. So, like Utah is a decent favorite in the series, but I think that is factoring in the possibility of Luka missing somewhere, all of it.
0: Yeah. I mean, his ankle or his, I keep on ankle. What is wrong with me? His calf strain is clearly the biggest question in the series. My actual, I'm going to just assume that the Mavericks are at full strength at some point. My biggest sure. question is, is this team, even though they have Luka, maybe not built? To exploit the Jazz's defense as much as other teams would be, and that's not—I'm not taking a pot shot against Gobert. It's just that where the Jazz have struggled, the two areas we're looking at is just athleticism, and so Rudy Gobert has so much responsibility because guys um, can't because guys in the perimeter can't stay in front of their other guys. Or if you want to bring him higher, he's fully capable of doing that. They also just don't have like the players behind him as help rim protectors that allow them to do that. The other thing, though, is that they can be beaten in transition. Like off of misses, like they can be, and especially off of turnover. but off of misses, they can be beaten in transition. I would argue because it's not Rudy Gobert's primary. Like if you want him to be under the glass at all, or if he's going to be so close to the basket, it's going to be harder for him to get back than all the other guys. The Mavericks, even post trade deadline, like this is not a team that's looking to get out in transition. And so I'm just wondering if that gives them more time to sort of set up Utah to set up their defense And whereas if this were a Clippers team that could play smaller or if it were just, if it were, if it was a Minnesota team, if it was the warriors, they're just all these other teams that I think might be better equipped to exacerbate our biggest concerns about the jazz. And I'm almost, I don't know if that tip, like if that should make the jazz favorites in this series, even if Luca is playing, we know that he's going to get in the half court and he will just kick them apart at points. There's just like, if they're set, like there's just so much of a difference there for them.
1: Yeah, I just looked it up. The Jazz or sorry, the Mavericks were 29th in frequency of transition opportunities throughout the regular season. They were they
0: they climbed all the way to 26th after the trade deadline, though. Oh wow.
1: Big yeah, they were tied with Houston for dead last. So it's a, a good shout there. Um and you're right. I mean, I think you know what we've seen foil the Jazz in recent seasons. Probably won't be as much of a factor in this series as it would be you know presuming that the suns move on um in in a potential second round series for them where I would have great concern over their ability to corral chris Paul devin Booker Mikhail bridges, so on and so forth um you know the the Mavericks do have that guard trio of Doncic, Jalen Brenson and Spencer Dinwiddie now uh but again like. Dinwiddie is also not an explosive athlete who's going to, you know, roast you off the dribble and like be past Gobert by the time he has a chance to rotate back over. Like I, I would think he would have time to get back into position by the time Spencer Dinwiddie got to the basket. Brunson is probably the big concern there. I do wonder if the Jazz have the personnel to contain Luca, and I think that's probably the biggest concern on their part you know Royce O'Neal is 6'4 226 so he's going to be giving up a couple inches on Luca. and Lord knows Luca is not afraid to shoot those step back threes at a moment's notice you know Mitchell and Conley are both 6'1 uh Boyan Bogdanovich is not anyone's idea of a wing stopper so You know, Rudy Gay has been in and out of the rotation. Like maybe it's a Daniel House series. Like that might be, other than Royce O'Neal, Daniel House might be Utah's best option against Luca, which is kind of scary.
0: Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't disagree with you because if you had to ask me who spends the second largest share of possessions guarding Luca at this point on the Jazz, I'm gonna pick Daniel House. It can't be Conley or Mitchell you don't want it to be boyan madonovich it definitely can't be jordan clarkson so yeah i think like this is this is a daniel house series insofar as that can be a daniel house series in <laughs> 2022 this is a daniel house series. and to be fair like he did give utah some like spiffy minutes uh um, yeah. they picked him up but that's just like if we're talking this just we're back to the discussion of should they have stood basically pat at the deadline or done more than just aim for tax savings and the answer is yes they should have done more than that I, I, I'm like simultaneously shocked. I looked up before we were doing this, how many possessions the Mavericks have rolled out their three guards together. And it was 226 possessions, which was higher than I expected, but like still too low for me. And I'm just like, if you went to that, look, if you're Dallas and yeah, there's the issue of rounding out the rest of the lineup, you're probably going with Finney Smith is definitely in every single one of those looks. And then I'm assuming you'll just go Kleba or Powell to have an, an actual big, I don't know if you're, you're not brazen enough to go with, Dorian Finney Smith and Reggie Bullock. Like the Jazz are going to have Rudy uh, Gobert on the court for 90% of this series. How does, if you went to that though, the, like the individual matchups start to get even more difficult for Utah yeah, yeah. because it's o'neal on Luka. I guess you put House on Brunson or would it be Dinwiddie? Like he's on one of those two. And then it's like, okay, who is, maybe you put him on Brunson because Brunson's so much quicker than Dinwiddie. And then it's, oh, okay, like Donovan Mitchell or Conley or Boyan Bajdanovic has to chase around, but like Spencer Dinwiddie, I don't know. Maybe Conley's capable of handling the Dinwiddie assignment. And so perhaps I'm overstating the significance of if the Mavericks decided to go to this three-guard look. But I think that's one way that they could make Utah really uncomfortable in this series, given that they don't have the the typical small ball lineups that could do the same like other teams do. And again, I want to make it clear, I don't think Rudy Gobert is the issue in those Mm -hmm. small ball lineups. It is pretty much everything else about the jazz that is the issue
1: yeah right correct and and i agree with you that would not like you know there's always like one big mid-series adjustment especially for a team that's like down to one of three oh i think that is the obvious one for dallas to try to make that said i mean if reggie bullock is knocking down his shots i know he's been somewhat inconsistent this year Like he is, he is going to get the starting nod at the start of the series next to Brunson, and you know, knock on wood, next to Luca as well, assuming health. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think the more ball handlers you have on the floor, especially against a Jazz team that really struggles to contain the dribble, the better off you're going to be.
0: How do you feel about this series from a Donovan Mitchell perspective?
1: I mean you go back to it feels similar to memphis minnesota where it's like both teams just don't really have a ton of great answers against either of their other stars so like you know go back to if we're assuming brunson bullock Doncic, finney smith powell are starting like i'm assuming finney smith gets the the mitchell assignment because there just isn't another great option in that starting five.
0: I think I have to agree with you there. When you play Finney Smith and Bullock together, Bullock could do it. Like he defends a lot of smaller guards, but Dorian Finney Smith is the type of defender where I didn't mention him as an honorable mentions when we did our all defense and I should have. Like he's the guy that's just like, whoever the best player on the other team is short of them being maybe a center, just mm-hmm. Dorian Finney Smith go guard them.
1: Like- right, right, right. <laughs> and part of it's out of necessity too, because they just, don't really have, with all due respect to your boy, Frankie Smokes, they like,
0: hey, whoa, hey,
1: whoa. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't have the personnel to, they don't have that like lockdown wing defender on this roster other than him, or like a lockdown guard defender. You know, they don't have a Patrick Beverly or a Marcus Smart on this team. Like it is. All right. Vinny Smith,
0: their bust. Thank you for, actualizing what I was thinking that this is a Frankie Smoke series. This yes. is a Frankie Lakina series if there if there ever was one. Anything <laughs> we missed or or any other bigger questions that you have before I ask you about
1: your X factors? I'm I mean this is just an overall general question about Utah, but given all that has happened with them throughout the season, throughout the last couple of years, I do wonder whether the weight of expectations are going to be hanging over them, and maybe that is the X factor. If we're we're going into the more intangible, um, but I'm also curious. Like you know, uh, Quinn Snyder just gave a 19 minute soliloquy the other day about you know this this concern about Donovan Mitchell not passing to Rudy Gobert or them not utilizing Rudy Gobert. Offensively, but
0: they eat lunch together. It's fine
1: sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I like if they lose this first round series, especially if Luca is hobbled, you have to figure big changes are coming to Utah this summer. So I'm curious, especially because, like, if they're going to pick between the two, they're probably keeping Donovan and trading Rudy. So, like, does Rudy go into this series knowing it might be his last stand in Utah? And does he look to assert himself more offensively than he has recently? Because, you know, Powell and Kleber are both 6'10", but Gobert's going to have a height advantage over both of them. So if they can find him, like, if they can utilize him more, you know, I'm not saying they should be running, like, 20 post-ups for Rudy Rudy Gobert or anything like that. But if he establishes really deep post position and all he has to do is turn around – and like reach over these guys, can they actually take advantage of that?
0: I was actually going to ask that was my, like, kind of my last question here is, is this a Rudy Gobert series? Because I think on offense, they don't really have anyone that could stop what he's going to do on screen and dives. Um, yeah. This data is skewed because the Mavs chain overhauled their roster at the middle of the season. Rudy bears a 79.4 true shooting against the Mavs. You know, where most of those shots are coming from. Yeah. It doesn't get any easier if it's going to be a, you know, Dwight Powell has some balance to him and Maxi Kleba is all over the place. It's just having to task them with guarding Rudy Gobert um, in pick and rolls. Like, no, like that's not, I don't know how much I would trust that on the flip side though. If you wanted to make the jazz further uncomfortable and one of these is realistic. Maxi Kleba as your big, just as someone yeah, yeah. who does have a little bit of a pump and drive game and can space the floor. But also is this a and I'm I'm this is tongue in cheek a little bit because I know he hasn't played a ton, but is this a Davis Bertans series because of the motion Ooh. shooting he provides you? Where if you just test that out, <laughs> like, right, maybe it's look, go with me. Maybe you have yeah. it when it's Dinwiddie, Bullock, and um, Dorian Finney Smith are on the court. Just three guys so you can at least trust defensively and i know i'm being generous there with spencer Dinwiddie. i want to make that clear uh like having him fly around just because i know he hasn't been a lights out shooter this year and he can get torched himself defensively but there's a chance that rudy gobert is going to do that to you anyway on offense do you just try that because it makes even if it doesn't make rudy gobert uncomfortable it makes the scope of his responsibility untenable because of the the complexion of the rest of the jazz roster and it's just it's just a question. And if you're not going to have Luca for even one game, mm-hmm. you have to try it out. That's where I'm at. Like, in, it's like, especially if you're not going to have Luca, but even if you do, you might need to just try it out.
1: To be clear, I wasn't laughing because of the idea. I was already envisioning the Twitter slander that would come out if at Davis unit against Bear is, you know, what swings a game like it. There would be no coming back from that. The Jazz would just have to, they shouldn't even show up for the rest of the series after that. Like it's, that would just be the thing that completely broke them. But yeah, you might as well. Yeah, like, I, I mean, we've seen the formula to beat the Jazz in the playoffs. And
0: that's you know, let them get out to a two game lead. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: and, you know, if, if they, I think if like, I know people who have been following this team all year have pointed out, you know, they blow double digit leads a lot. They just seem somewhat mentally fragile, probably again, because of the weight of expectations and knowing what lies ahead if they crumble in the first round here. So if you can do something that gets into their head and, you know, throw out an unconventional lineup that has some success and then they start thinking, oh no, here we go again. Like that, winning the mental battle here is going to be a large part of who wins this series, I think.
2: Who is your X factor for Dallas? Is it, I mean, Finney
1: Smith, I don't know if he counts as an X factor, but him, if he has any success against Donovan Mitchell, I think that's going to be a huge key to this series because we've seen Mitchell in the playoffs. He goes just absolutely supernova. Um <laughs> now I want to say Thomas It's just because you brought him up. Uh
0: I like that the idea to you at least wasn't so egregious.
1: No, I just I it was really like just already imagining the amount, the volume of slander, because people are ready to bury this team. Like and just, that would that would do it.
0: I just look, if people are gonna insult the opinion, I just want it to be clear that it was not a Rudy Gobert thing so much as a let's fuck with the rest of the Jazz's roster thing.
1: Right, right. And it I think <laughs> I I think it it's worth a try, like so, yeah. Finney Smith for defense, and then probably Dinwiddie offensively because he's just been such a revelation for this team, especially relative to what he showed in Washington earlier this year. And as you mentioned, you know if they if they do trot out these three guard lineups, or if Luca misses a game, he probably gets promoted in the starting lineup in Luca's place. So I think he's going to have a big role in the series.
0: I am going to go with Reggie Bullock, basically for the reasons that you just mentioned. Because if it's not going to be Dorian Finney-Smith and Donovan Mitchell, it's probably going to be Reggie Bullock. But you're also yeah. going to see him go up against Mike Conley as well. So, or maybe he's going to get time against Bogdan Bogdanovic. Who, look, I know there are people who want to troll Bogdanovic, but sometimes we don't need to overcomplicate the fact that when he was healthy, 17 plus points per game on 60 plus true shooting. Like, we don't need to overcomplicate that. That's really valuable as a secondary weapon. And so we know what we're going to get from uh, Dwayne Finney-Smith, who, by the way, spent the second most time of anyone in the league defending Donovan Mitchell this year. Oh,
1: there you
2: go. Would you be, I bet you, you could guess the first. Hmm. Is it also Patrick Beverly? (laughs) No,
0: it's Herb Jones.
1: (laughs) Oh, nice. Okay.
0: So, we just we know what didn't uh Dorian Finney Smith is gonna have to do, and so I land there with Bullock. Where it's if he's hitting his threes like he did for I don't want to say the better part of this season, but definitely was better um over the second half than the first half, and you're able to get those minutes defensively from him. Where it's no, he's not gonna win those matchups maybe ever, but to make mm-hmm. life difficult on them, especially on Mike Conley, who has quietly, if he's finding time with him, like has quietly been borderline brilliant through stretches this season. Who's your X factor for the Jazz? Is it also Davis Bertans?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the guy who'd probably be guarding him. I think it's Bogdanovich. You just brought him up, but I mean, he, you know, when we talk about the Jazz perimeter weak links defensively, you might as well just be subtweeting Bogdanovich over these last couple of playoff series. So, I, I don't think he's going to be on Luca, but maybe he's on Dorian Finney-Smith. I, again, it's like if they run these three guard lineups is there a place for him on the floor do they play him off the floor so can he justify staying on the floor with his offense can he provide enough offense to you know Mm. make Quinn or keep him out there even if he doesn't have a clear obvious matchup defensively and then if and when he does can he hold his own can he prevent these corner threes from dorian finney smith that enable him to stay out on the court to guard donovan mitchell it's like a I don't know what type of like a game of connect for almost <laughs> like you're trying to block the other team from trying to use their best options and I guess best or worst options in this case with McDonovich defensively um so yeah I think I'm going him
0: I'm worried this is too high profile but I think it's Mike Conley for me for the Jazz just because he's he's clearly important to what you do on offense like he is your connective tissue on offense yeah, more yeah. than donovan mitchell as a playmaker um and if donovan mitchell has a bad game like it's going to be him or bondonovich needs to pick up the slack and then they have jordan clarkson obviously i'm just more so talking about dallas m- now has more dangerous secondary weapons within their own offense with having like there's a trickle down effect to having spencer Dinwiddie. it makes life a little bit easier on luka but like now you also don't need to be in a postseason series where Jalen Brunson is technically your number two because he's just a little bit undersized. And if he's your number three instead of your number two, you're just deeper. And Mike Conley's just going to have to defend basically all those dudes. Um, yeah. And I would assume most likely Dinwiddie in uh, just certain lineups or just see a bunch of time on Brunson. And so he becomes important to the Jazz's perimeter defense because you already mentioned it with William Amadonovich. You're going to look to stash him on some of the Jazz's More stationary players. And look, maybe that's why you just roll out Davis Bertans next to Maxi Kleber or Dwight Powell. Like, are you gonna try and get yourself in a situation where Boyar Badanovich has to move a bunch? You know, we can talk about the lore of that time while he was with the Pacers. He played okay defense on LeBron James, but that's a half decade ago. Right. (laughs) I I just I'm not it's the Jazz are still an elite defensive team, Rudy Gobert's on the court, but they need like, aside from Royce O'Neill, who he would be another good choice as an X factor because they just need him to do everything. It's you yeah. need to guard Luca for every single minute that Luca's on the court. Um, but I just think it's Mike Conley because I, he might be, you know, I, I know we named Daniel House, but like he might be Utah's second most important perimeter defender at this point and in this series specifically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are going to be a lot of it's like you know what you're getting out of your stars at this point. I think the complimentary guys might be what swing this either way. Again, assuming health for Luka.
0: Let's do Boston, Brooklyn, just to um, go back to the East for a second.
1: Are are we going to make picks for, you just don't want to make picks for.
0: Oh my God. Yes. All right. Who is your pick
1: for bad (laughs) Mavericks? (laughs) I I thought you were just like, let's avoid the scorn of jazz Twitter if we pick against them. But I mean, so much of this depends on Lucas' health. Like, it's almost impossible to say, you know, not knowing how much he's going to miss, if any, of this series. If he's fully healthy, I lean Dallas. Or if he plays all seven games, I lean Dallas. But I, I will hedge and say Dallas in seven, you know, assuming that he misses one game or just isn't, like, fully recovered from that isn't 100%. But... I don't know, man. This this Jazz team just the vibes are not good, and they have not been good all season. And I know Dallas is not the team like the Clippers last year. Like you're not going to see a five out lineup unless, hey, maybe they do put the five. That could be really fun. Um, but I, I just don't have any faith in this Jazz team, honestly.
0: Of note to everything you said, the Mavs are plus eight point five points per hundred possessions. When Jalen Brunson and Spencer Dinwiddie play without Luca, there you go. I, I don't think that holds over the course of a series without Luca, but those are important minutes if you want to, you know, play Luca fewer than forty-two minutes a game. That might be mm-hmm. a little bit important. I'm going to go Jazz in seven here because I'm skeptical as to how much Luca plays or what he looks like upon returning. I don't feel comfortable with that pick as a fan of chaos. I'm going to pick Mavericks in five because <laughs> okay, as a fan, as a, just as someone who runs for chaos, that would be <laughs> losing in like five games. You just know that Utah is going to be blown to smithereens. Yeah, Quinn Snyder is going to have both feet out the door after this series. But I do think that the jazz are, they're the more dangerous offensive team to me, despite the Mavs have Luka, and that's like playoff proof. But like we, I think the discourse around Donovan Mitchell's game is veered, or at times is veered too far away from reality, he's proven that he can be hyper-valuable in the playoffs. And so you have that go-to guy there. And there are more, even if there aren't more secondary weapons in number necessarily, I mean, there are. Jordan Clarkson, Bojan Mike Conley, there are more secondary weapons in number and like just establishment. Like When you look at Bojan Barodinovich and, and Mike Conley, I would feel a little bit better about the Jazz if it wasn't for, as you mentioned, the vibes. And yeah. maybe we need to do a vibes check here, and I'm, under, I'm underweighting it. I'm just going to pick Utah in 7 and it has everything to do with the Luka Doncic injury. If you tell me that Luka plays, if Luka is the Luka he's been for basically since early November or more specifically the last half of the season which by the way he shot 48.1% on step back threes over his final 36 games. That's sources tell me that's pretty pretty good. Um yeah.
1: That was if, James you tell Harden. Me,
0: if you tell me Luka is Luka, I might actually just lean dallas in seven because of how good they've been defensively almost all year and like spencer dinwiddie has been you already mentioned it playing out of his mind but my official pick is going to be jazz in seven i'm I'm prepared to be wrong no
1: yeah i mean again it's like it's impossible to predict without knowing the status like if if luca misses three games i also pick the jazz but i'm hoping slash assuming that he will be like miss one game at most
0: That will do it for part one of what will be a three-part deep dive into the first round of the NBA playoffs. Hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't subscribed to us yet, please, please, pretty please consider doing so. Also, ratings and reviews help us out a ton, uh, whether it's on Spotify or Apple. I don't care if you even use those platforms. If you have access, go rate and review us. Help us juice those numbers on the charts. Subscribe to us on YouTube, TikTok, IG, all those links are in the podcast description. Don't forget about our Discord. Uh, we will be back to talk with Brian to talk about Warriors, Nuggets, Celtics, Nets, and Raptors, Sixers in the very next podcast. I might already be live by the time you're listening to this. Until that time, though, I leave you with a shout out to the one, the only, the playoff bound, Frank. Nalcino.